This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound, I'm your host Ian Turner. Before we get started, I encourage you to visit the Garden of Sound website right now. That's gardenofsound.nz and subscribe to the show. This means new episodes of the show will magically be downloaded to your mobile phone or computer as they become available, meaning you won't miss one second of the awesome talent that Garden of Sound features. Speaking of awesome talent, tickets are now on sale for the very first Garden of Sound live gig. It's happening at Littleton Records on Tuesday the 31st of July and will be featuring an amazing lineup of young bands about to make it big on the music scene. They include R3, Class Disruption and ZM People's Choice winners from the smoke-free rock waste Better Than Bacon. Tickets are only $8 in advance and that's a whole night's live music for cheaper than a piece of cake and a coffee. So head along to Eventbrite or gardenofsound.nz right now to get your tickets. Back to the show. Today's guest is Jed Parsons. His debut album Midnight Feast is released today and some may say it's been seven years in the making. He's been out playing original music since the Christchurch earthquakes with artists like Hera and House of Mountain, but today he really comes into his own. For your chance to win tickets to one of Jed's concerts this month and a copy of Midnight Feast, make sure you listen all the way to the end of the show for a super easy question. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jed Parsons on Plains FM 96.9. Jed, what's your first memory of music in your life? I think the, the one that I'm conscious of is probably sitting with mum in the lounge and for some reason, I always remember listening to Neil Diamond, which is hilarious. Um, I love, <laughs> I love Neil Diamond because it's so um, funny, but it still gives you goosebumps. <laughs> so I still remember listening to yeah, Neil Diamond, probably greatest hits or something. Mum and Dad had a pretty eclectic taste from terrible to really good. So, yeah. What's your favourite Neil Diamond track? Oh, you couldn't really look past Sweet Caroline, could you? Also, Forever in Blue Jeans, that really gets me going too. <laughs> yeah. Money talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. Yeah, I'd like to do a Neil Diamond tribute show one day. Were your parents musical, in inverted commas? Do they play any musical instruments, sing? I think that they have very musical bones, but they never really explored them. Like, Dad... Um, dad is a showman if he pursued any kind of art he would do well at it like he's just hilarious and he'll like he when he when he sings you just hear him singing around the house and he does a really good um soprano opera voice you'll hear him from the other end of the house doing kitty takanawa or <laughs> so i think yeah if they explored it they'd be good mum played a little bit of um acoustic guitar in her happy days so that's probably where um yeah, where we sort of first developed a, you know, an inkling for it. And further across the family tree, is there anyone else that sort of, you know, exhibits those talents? Yeah, so my cousin Mel Parsons, she's been a bit of an idol of mine for a while. She's a a very, very good um, singer-songwriter who's toured the world plenty of times and works harder than, you know, most people in the industry would recognise that she works harder than than most and she's released three really great albums working on a new one now so um 
Yeah, yeah. So she she's one of the others, and then um, yeah, just across both sides of the family, people have uh, have explored the musical side of things. We're all quite creative, I think. Um, and yeah, I learnt the instruments. You know, I played drums and guitar and stuff, and it was all my. I've got three older brothers, and they they took those up first. So I sort of developed my musical skills just by listening to what they were doing, and then copying it. Do you think without that familial music in your life, you would have gone down the music route? Or would, it, would there be something else? For a long time, like since probably the start of high school is when I realised that I I really wanted to do music. And whether that's because of what was in my bones or or something, I just somehow developed myself. I would probably say it's, it's in my bones, it's in our genes to be creative. Um, all my brothers do creative things, so my oldest brother is a graphic designer. Um, next one down works in radio doing sort of creative stuff and just spinning yarns, which takes a bit of creativity. And and then the next brother, he had his own sort of wood, um, wooden sign making business, built wooden furniture, which which he sold that business to Brett from Married at First Sight, which is quite funny. He's never been as busy as he, as he has since that show. Um, so yeah, uh, creative bones. So I would have always done something creative. I think I, I like I like the idea of visual stuff. My girlfriend's a photographer, and um, yeah, I'd probably be doing something creative. Architecture always intrigued me, but um, I don't think I could sit through the all the sciencey stuff that you've got to know for architecture. <laughs> So you've talked about sort of family influences, the the older brothers, the the cousin, and so on. Um, outside of the family, um, who else has influenced you to this musical path? I think there's a lot of subconscious influences. I'm sure, like stuff that I've listened to as a kid, like Neil Diamond and stuff, which I've kind of only in the last couple of years gone back and listened to and been like, ah, oh, actually, there's probably stuff in this music that comes out in mine. And I think like things like musicals like all those cheesy musicals like Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff and that I was a part of in high school there's some really interesting harmonic movements and stuff in those which I think have influenced me but but more obviously I think um the New Zealand indie scene is has always been a big thing on my radar and probably quite underrated I, like good shirt for example was I just love that music. I think they're so underrated. Um, and the guys from that band, Gareth Thomas and Rodney Fisher and and then Phoenix Foundation and Lawrence Arabia and all those indie pop, indie rock guys and gals, of course. Yeah, just, um, yeah, that's a big influence. And then 60s stuff as well, which I probably listened to a lot as a child. So, um, yeah, the Beach Boys stuff, the harmonies and the harmonic movements and... All that kind of stuff really gets me going. So what's your chosen musical delivery system? Is is it, you know, if, would you just play guitar or would you sing? You know, do you play keys or what's your what's your favourite? Um, so when I play live in my band, I'm playing guitar and singing. But I write quite a bit on piano. I'm, I'm definitely not a pianist, but I sit down and put my fingers down and sometimes it makes a cool sound so I can write that way. And I played drums as well. I was probably a drummer before anything. So I played drums in various people's bands. And, and yeah, sometimes right from the drums too, like the first single I released, Get Lost. I think that started with the drum groove, which is 
I was just jamming and came up with this groove that sounded kind of angular but still pretty solid. And yeah, from that I, I developed the other instruments around it. So yeah, just a jack of all trades really. So going back to uh, influences, you talked about the New Zealand indie scene at least. Is there a particular artist or a track from that artist you want to play today? Yes, out of all the... Out of all the bands that I'm heavily influenced by, there's like the new ones, Hans Puckett and the Beths and a lot of really great bands like that. I think uh, I always come back to the Phoenix Foundation, um, who are, have been an awesome indie act for uh, for a very long time now, and it's been cool um, they're listening to their progression. But yeah, a track from the Phoenix Foundation.
You're listening to Plains FM 96.9 FM. This is the interview with Jed Parsons. Jed, during that song, we were talking about melodies and vocals. Do you think there's an, there's an expectation to take a song in a particular direction when you're writing? Yeah. So, um, so I think, like when you're writing, well, for me as a writer, I think it's the the funnest part is playing around with with expectation. Um, so your listener always, you know, because of Western music and what we've inherited throughout hundreds of years, uh, we have an, a built-in expectation of where a bit of music's going to go with a chord progression or whatever. So I think as an artist, um, you having that power is cool. You can either fulfill a listener's expectation, which makes them feel a particular way, or play with their expectation, go somewhere different, um, you know, like the one of the most basic forms of that is the four, five, one progression. And I'm no classical musician, but I know that a chord four to five going back to a one, or oh, it just sounds classic. It's the da, da, da. So you hear that in music all the time. But if you were to go da, 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 you know, that would be a, you know, you'd be playing with your listener's expectation and are you are you consciously writing for the listener or are you writing for yourself i'm i always try and write for the listener which is um it's a balancing act because you have to what you're writing has to be genuine it has to be from your heart but at the end of the day uh you know you want you the reason we write music and create art is for other people to resonate with so you hear a lot of people starting out writing songs, singing about how sad they are or whatever, um, and it's like that's great. But what what is the listener getting from that? Are they feeling your pain, or are they gonna feel any kind of resolve? Are they gonna learn anything or whatever? Um, so yeah, I think self indulgence is a is a big risk in songwriting, but. Uh, yeah, you have to still be writing from the heart at the same time. So it's... Where where does your content 
come from? It's a mixture of things. Usually it's just from funny thoughts I have going around in my head. So I think I always tell, like I do a bit of mentoring in schools and things like that, and I always say to the budding songwriters that it's our job as artists to be... um, to be conscious of all those funny like every single person no matter who they are has thoughts going through their heads and often they're quite strange because they're not conscious of them so it's our job as artists to be aware of those funny thoughts and get them down um so yeah i I just keep notes like most of the songs on the record that i'm releasing today um eh, they they come they they come from just tiny thoughts like uh like the opening track on the record is called Real World, and that was literally just the thought of how uh, the real world always has negative connotations. When you hear about the real world, it's always negative, which is a very interesting sort of concept. It's like, well, you, know, you can't you can't have fun in the real world. Sorry about it, which is a really depressing kind of <laughs> sentiment when you think about it. So, like that song was just born from two words that I wrote down, and then the verses came very quickly. It's like all the examples of the real world about um, how you need to get a crappy job that you don't like to afford things that you don't need and blah, blah, blah. And that's how it is in the real world. Um, So yeah, most of my songs start from just little ideas that are floating around in my head. But a lot of them, a lot of those ideas come at the same time as a chord movement or, or a melody. Chords and melody come at the same time for me, which, um, which is a bit of a blessing. (laughs) <laughs> let's talk about the new album uh it's out today uh this is your first full-length jed parsons doing his thing release yes that's right yep so i've um i've played live with my band for many many years our first show was for the uh for the rdu roundup competition which we thought we'd do for a laugh um ended up ended up winning the final which was marvelous so we thought oh that's a bit of validation we may as well Keep going with it. And who's in your band? Um, at the moment, it's Moses Robbins on bass, who's been there from the beginning. Um, John T. O'Connor on drums, who's a fantastic, uh, one of the one of the best in Christchurch, in my opinion. One of the best in New Zealand. He's fantastic. And Tom Harris, another wonderful keyboard player. Um, so, yeah, we've all just kind of met throughout the years in different bands and things like that. Christchurch is probably a relatively small scene so we've all ended up just jamming and becoming friends and on the record it's uh, Matt Andrews on drums um, who's just gone to America uh, Moses on bass and a bunch of session guys so Ed Zucolo from Wellington on keys uh, Cam Robertson on trumpet and Naomi Nat on uh, on cello and where was the majority of that recorded um, in Wellington at a at a studio called the surgery Mm-hmm. which is where, um, coincidentally, where the Phoenix Foundation and all those folk record um, with a guy called Lee Preble, who's a real hero of mine, both musically and he's just a really, really nice guy. So he was the engineer and owns the studio and um, just has a very, very relaxed, knowledgeable vibe about him, which is, in retrospect, it's crucial um, to making a record sound particular way like I've worked in studios where there's flashy lights and it's all pristine and um, all very clinical which is cool but really all it does is puts you a bit more on edge it makes you feel like you have to 
performed really, really well on that particular day. So it was really cool working with Lee because it's such a relaxed vibe and energy in there. Is there a producer or is, is that your duty? Uh, yeah, that was predominantly my duty. So in the recording process um, and, and the writing process pre-production, it was pretty much just me with bouncing ideas off the band. But um, yeah, in the mixing kind of process, Lee came in with a, with a bunch more ideas there and we were able to sort of play around with different things. It's an independent release. What's the benefit of, uh, of being independent? I haven't had any experience working with a label, so <laughs> it's quite hard to say. But I assume that I have a lot more freedom um, and it's very much... Uh, representative of me and my my vibe um you know and and my personality whereas maybe working with a label it becomes a bit more of a um more of a product which it is but <laughs> yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting thing and and of course i get to be completely in control of finances and stuff which is um not ideal starting out. I don't think I've ever been this broke in my life. But um, but yeah, at least I know what's happening. I'm fully in control of it. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting. We sort of um, we thought for a long time about trying to get an indie label on board or something like that, which I'm sure would be cool. I think the biggest benefit of a label is association. So people see... Oh, um, you know, Unknown Mortal Orchestra or Mac or whoever is on this label, therefore this band, I should give them a go because they're on the same thing. So yeah, just association. I think that'd be pretty, pretty cool. So Jed can continue to eat and live and breathe and, you know, have the um, uh, necessaries of life. What's the one key thing that you really want to happen with this album, other than just you know moving a lot of units, what's is there a market that you need to really hit and penetrate? In my perspective, these days, I I think that you know not too long ago you you'd tour to promote an album, but now I think, in my perspective anyway, and what I want with this album is for the album to promote my touring. So, ideally, in the long run, I I want to be selling out shows everywhere. Um, I want to be big in Japan. That's that's a big goal. I love Japan. <laughs> Is there a track from the new album we can hear? Yeah, um, let's listen to the first single I released, which is called Get Lost. This is the one that I wrote um, from the drums upwards. Before we listen to the song, is there anything in particular you want us to know about the song, how it came into being? This is another kind of example of my writing process of taking a small idea and developing it. So again, this one actually came from the title, like like Real World came from the title Get Lost and actually a similar kind of concept in retrospect about how get lost get lost is always a negative connotation as well but I wrote it at a time where I was experiencing a lot of wanderlust you know wanting to get out and tour and travel a lot um, and the idea of you know literally getting lost in a in a foreign place seemed quite appealing um, you know and, and you see in Christchurch you see a lot of friends kind of settling down into the New Zealand dream, which is owning a wee house in a subdivision and blah, 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 which I'm sure eventually one day I'll find quite appealing. But at the time of writing the song, I was like, ah, no, I don't really want a mortgage at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's about getting lost and uh, living life, as it were. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to the Garden of Sound interview with Jed Parsons, but before we continue, I'd just like to remind you that the very first Garden of Sound live gig is happening Tuesday, the 31st of July at Littleton Records. Tickets are available from eventbrite.com or gardenofsound.nz, and it's going to be an amazing night showcasing some unbelievable young talent from Christchurch. We've got an all-girl three-piece out of Papua Nui called R3, a high-energy four-piece and RockQuest regional finalists, Class Disruption, 
and topping the bill, Better Than Bacon, who are into the national top 30 of the Smoke Free Rock Quest. The event is supported by Creative Communities and Taha Sparkling Tonic and will only cost you $8 in advance. So head along to gardenofsound.nz or eventbrite.com right now to get your tickets. That's less than the price of a trip to the movies and you're going to have an amazing night. It's gardenofsound.nz or eventbrite.com to get your tickets. You're listening to Plains FM 96.9. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jed Parsons. Jed, I want to ask you, what's the first gig or musical event or concert that you paid some money to get along to see? The one that springs to mind was uh, Mumford & Sons, which was actually not all that long ago. and I'm sure there were many, many concerts I went to before that. But yeah, I went to that at uh, the stadium in Christchurch. And I thought... Um, it was cool for the first two or three songs, and then I was like, "Hang on, they just write the same song over and over again." <laughs> they either do um, uh, or um, or they were doing that at the time anyway. <laughs> I sort of cottoned on to that halfway through the concert and realised why I was getting a bit bored. Is there any uh, venue or music space in New Zealand that you've played or been to a gig at that's um, had a lasting memory on you? I personally, I like really intimate shows. Like if I go to a big stadium, I just feel a bit disconnected um, from everything. So shows locally like at Darkroom or Blue Smoke or Littleton Records, um, I always connect with them more and I'd happily pay more for that than a stadium show. In saying that, I saw Paul McCartney at um, Western Springs um, just by chance, which was pretty phenomenal. It was, But I guess that was more a, a thing of seeing a beetle in real life. You know, if, if I had have seen, obviously if I had have seen that in a small venue, it would have absolutely blown my mind. But it's like you're sitting miles away and you've got slapback coming from all around the stadium so it's less about the music the musical experience in those big places than it is just about the whole the whole experience is there any gig that you've played which has given you a a learning opportunity or maybe something that hasn't gone right that you've uh, learned something from oh yeah i think the most um recent experience like that was when we were playing that nostalgia festival um in christchurch and we were playing on the second stage, uh, which was more sort of, again, like the vibe I was just talking about, smaller, the smaller crowd, but much more compact and a lot more party vibes. Um, and somehow the stage, uh, the power to the stage and the power to everything went off. So um, all we had were the drums. And I mean, we do some relatively outrageous things when we play live and everything goes well anyway, but... Without power, the drums kept playing, and Matt kind of knew just to just to keep the show going. So he just kept drumming, and I thought, all right, what are we going to do? Am I going to sort of announce that we're having technical difficulties and come back on when the power starts, or see what happens? So I decided straight away to see what would happen. So I just told Matt to keep playing, and then I did a crowd surf on top of about 10 people uh, <laughs> who didn't really know what was going on. And uh, inevitably fell down at the back of the place. So I 
just joined the crowd and started dancing with them, which, you know, kept them all entertained for a bit. And I thought, all right, power's still not on. Um, got back up on stage and read a, led a bit of an aerobics routine. And then, um, and then, then decided that I should probably go and join Matt on the drums. So we stood, and, and then everybody in the band picked up a bunch of sticks. And all of a sudden we had five people around the drums playing different aspects and then we had people from the crowd come up and join on the drums so so it just didn't stop the whole way through right until the power came on and that was about 10 minutes later and okay so it's a, it's only 10 minutes it's not sort of half an hour no, of trying no, to keep no, that yeah. messes at which yeah you know 20 minutes in we probably would have had to go okay um see you soon but no we managed to keep it going and most importantly keep the crowd engaged the whole time and they the feedback after that was that that was probably their favourite bit, the big drum solo. And and a lot of people didn't even realise that the power had gone out. I mean, obviously, people that went that <laughs> in tune. Um, but, yeah, that was a big learning experience is, is making sure, you know, you can entertain a crowd um, in many, many more ways than playing a song perfectly or whatever. And realising that a live show is so much more than your songs. You, you have to make them... I mean, when you go along to a show as a as a punter, um, yeah, you want the beer to taste yummy and you want a flashy light show and, and all these things, they add up to a cool concert to the point where the music is, um, you know, it's obviously the reason that they're there, but uh, yeah, it adds up to probably half of the experience. Um, yeah, just keeping people engaged is so, so important and making sure that they have a good time. Obviously, knowing what to do in those situations has, has come from experience and a lot of um, playing. You talked about mentoring uh, young people. Um, what sort of advice would you give now to, to a young Jed Parsons just starting out? Is there one key piece? I think getting out into the industry as early as possible is crucial and there's uh it's it's underrated people are still getting the whole way through jazz school and haven't actually played a gig outside of the learning environment um but for me yeah playing those playing gigs from early on playing terrible gigs and playing cool gigs that that's the best education i ever got hands down um so yeah i got out on the road pretty early like as soon as the earthquakes happened uh, because there were no venues around and nothing going on. Um, yeah, I was two days into jazz school when that earthquake happened. So, um, yeah, a bunch of friends got together and we started touring. Moses was one of them. Um, and started touring as a band called House of Mountain. And we played some hilarious gigs, so a lot of really cool gigs, and then some gigs to two people, you know, and uh, just all over the place. And they were they were so important. I'm sure we were probably not very good at the start and we became you know i think quite good at that that particular style and moment um yeah so just getting that and and it's more daunting for people in people's heads than it really is like if you've if, if you get together a set of two hours of material you can pretty easily i think get a wee set in a cafe or a wee bar i might not pay that well but yeah, if I wasn't doing those gigs early on, I don't, I don't think I'd be confident enough to do a stage dive at Nostalgia Festival when the power went off. Anyway, 
what you put out on stage and, and what you record, should the recording in your mind be an accurate representation of, of what you do live, or should the recording be something extra special that you might not necessarily get from Jed on stage? Yeah, I, in my mind, a lot of people try and replicate it perfectly. In my mind, I think they're very different things. I think if you're listening to an album, hopefully, well, you're either listening to it at a party, which is kind of similar to a live show, but a lot of people are listening on their own and they're in the mood to kind of feel something. So you can explore the highs and the lows of, of it all a bit more and a lot more dynamic and stuff like that. Whereas if, if people turn up to a a show that they they've got a bit more adrenaline in them and stuff and they want to be entertained it's very hard to entertain a crowd when you're playing five acoustic ballads in a row if you're if you're there to play a, a rock and roll set you know so yeah for me I'm sure all the tempos are a bit up when we play live and um there's some the it's all a bit more rowdy than it is on the on the album. a bit more Mumford and Sons really <laughs> yeah that's right is there a favourite track which you carry with you or something you've listened to for a while which you, you still appreciate to this day? Yeah, as I've um, gone throughout my musical career, obviously my tastes have come and gone and um, developed and whatnot. But uh, I think a fantastic representation of everything I've ever liked would be uh, The Beach Boys' Good Vibrations. Um, it's a classic. Um, and just the... It's got beautiful harmonic movement but at the same time it's hooky and it's for the for the average listener it's a simple sounding song um but there's so much going on in it which i think is really really crucial i would hope for me as a writer that no one would ever listen to my music and go oh that's tricky or anything like that i would hope that people just enjoy it and hopefully find it sing-alongable um so yeah good vibrations it's classic. I, I love the colorful clothes you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air I'm picking up good vibrations Giving me the excitations I'm backing up
Listening to the Garden of Sound interview with Jed Parsons on Plains FM ninety six point nine. Jed, you were talking about a movie. Yeah, there was. There's a movie that I saw called Love and Mercy, which is like the the Brian Wilson story essentially, and that really makes you. I think it's a really great movie. It certainly makes you appreciate um, everything behind that guy like he's an absolute genius and riddled as his brain is all over the place i think all musicians have to well all songwriters anyway they have to spend a certain amount of time in their own head which i think would send anyone a little bit crazy like you have to have your most people i think have their down periods and their up periods and can sort of skim through those but when you're a songwriter you're super conscious of all those moments and you have to be really deep in them if you want to write a song in those periods or just any creative person I think is like that. Have you faced uh, writer's block or something of that nature? I think the for me writer's block comes in just a general period of feeling a bit low or feeling a particular way. I don't think writer's block is just that I think it's influenced by all sorts of things um so yeah I've definitely been through times where I don't write anything and sometimes actually sometimes it's like you're planning a tour or you're planning a release or whatever which is what I'm doing now and I haven't really written anything in a long time because of that how long have you been playing your music playing original music probably since I was uh, maybe like last year of high school I started kind of playing one or two gigs outside of school but in school assemblies and stuff I was the annoying kid that was bloody chasing the limelight I'm sure <laughs> so how many years is that uh 25 now so seven years is it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah uh, fresh out of high school we we got stuck into it so the earthquakes for me was a bit of a blessing in disguise because there were a lot of displaced musicians that I happened to um kind of meet around that time anyway so it was uh and they were all quite motivated at the same time so we just started writing and creating stuff together because there was nothing else to do yeah um and yeah so so that year we started playing gigs pretty quickly which is not what you'd expect when (laughs) when there's no venues in your city yeah yeah so in that time what's the most rewarding project that you've worked on and that's given you the most, I'll say personal satisfaction as opposed to, you know, money in the bank. 
Yeah, there's been I've been a part of quite a lot of projects now. Um, so playing drums in House of Mountain, which is the rock band, that was really rewarding and was the first time uh, I'd sort of really believed in a project and been quite invested in. Uh, and then I had a project with a singer-songwriter called Hera. Uh, we released an album, like just an acoustic album together and toured a lot, played in Iceland at Iceland Airways Festival and... Um, yeah, played played for all sorts of people. I've played drums for Nomad, a local pop rock kind of um, indie pop band. Um, but yeah, I think the most rewarding thing is my my solo project, as vain or whatever as that may sound. Um, I just feel like everything I've done musically up to this point has been leading me to a point that is completely 100% me and 100% true to my personality and stuff which I, w- I would never have got here if I hadn't been through those other projects and worked out um, what I really liked in music and stuff so yeah the gigs I've been doing with my band have been super super rewarding because I felt 100% true to what I want to be doing and in Christchurch at least where are you playing next? Next I'm playing on the 27th of July at Blue Smoke so that's for my album release tour so yeah I'm doing Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin all starting in about a week's time so yeah Christchurch 27th. Is there a, um, a project uh, you want to see yourself doing in two, five, ten years? Maybe an unfulfilled goal or dream? I think being recognised internationally would be awesome and in a place that I like so I went to Japan semi-recently and just thought this is awesome and uh yeah, it'd be pretty cool to pack out shows in Japan, I reckon. Obviously, that's kind of a pretty niche thing, so there'd be things around that. But oh, 120 million people? It's not yeah. that niche, really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so yeah, let's, uh, let's Look forward to <laughs> Jed Parsons. Sugoi! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and any particular artists that you'd like to work with down the track? Um, I'd like to work with all sorts of people, but... Um, yeah, just people in the local scene, so indie indie pop stuff. If I could, if I if I could collaborate with anyone, there's the bands like I mentioned before, like Hans Puckett. Those guys are awesome, and there's a lot of young guys. But then the old classics like the Phoenix Foundation, for example, I'd I'd be particularly fond of working with them. I think they've got great creative brains, and already work with um, Lee Preble, who I work with as well. So. So that would actually be maybe achievable if they... I've never met them. I'm sure they're lovely people, but they might hate me, so that might be off the cards. Uh, Well, we've already listened to a Phoenix Foundation track. Is there another track uh, from another artist that you'd like to take us out with today? Yeah, I think a a huge influence in the last sort of five years maybe would be a band called Unknown Mortal Orchestra, uh, which is Ruben Nielsen, who was from uh, Mint Chicks and Kiwi Indie fame um they particularly their first two albums just had a massive impact on me because they are so interesting but they're so hooky all their songs are so yeah so hooky and like for for a long time at the start of my songwriting career i would be writing quite cheesy stuff that i would end up hating um and Unknown Mortal Orchestra kind of 
taught me that you can write hooky, you know, major tonality songs and still have a sense of cool about them, which I don't I don't know if that's reflected in my music. I'm too close to it, but um, it made me less scared of writing hooks. I think a lot of people, especially you know, educated musicians, they shy away from pop music or hooks because they're too simple, you know, and they're they're too uptight to write something that's sing alongable. Um, but yeah, Unknown Mortal Orchestra has taught me not to be afraid of the hook because it can still be cool. So all my music, the number one for me is hooks. I don't particularly enjoy music that I can't, you know, get get right stuck into. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being on the show today, Jed. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
Thank you for joining me today. This week's guest was Jed Parsons. You can find out more about Jed and listen to a show-specific playlist made up of all the tracks Jed talked about today and more details about his new album, Midnight Feast, and the Midnight Feast Tour by visiting gardenofsound.nz. I mentioned at the start of the program there's a pair of tickets to see Jed Parsons live and a copy of Midnight Feast up for grabs right now. You just have to be the first person to correctly answer this question. What colour jeans will Neil Diamond forever be in? That question again, what colour jeans will Neil Diamond forever be in? Head along to gardenofsound.nz right now and look for the win tab. The first correct entry will win a pair of tickets to see Jed and a copy of his new album, Midnight Feast. And please do get your tickets to Garden of Sound live before they sell out. It's happening Tuesday, the 31st of July at Littleton Records. Tickets are available right now at gardenofsound.nz or eventbrite.com. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm Ian Turner, and this has been Garden of Sound.